Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us again. Another episode of the Moho Show. Sorry for starting late. Just had a great inside joke about how frustrating printers are. But hey, it is June. Time to flip your calendars and time to flip your lid. It's the Moho Show. Right on. Well, hello, June. And hello, Alex. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing quite fabulous. Uh, happy June. Happy it's sunny out. Oh my goodness. After just way too much rain and weather. And yes, happy June. How are you, Mr. Ryan? Doing all right. Uh, busy week, busy, busy month. Looking forward to kicking off the month. Lots of new things coming down, uh, down the curve. So what have you been working on? Uh, what have I been working on? A number of things. Um, just getting a lot of visual aids, a lot of graphics to cap to help our clients learn how to use the programs. I've been playing between using SharePoint and using, uh, let's say, Word or um, other, just even PowerPoint. And surprisingly, I've landed on PowerPoint as kind of like my most flexible tool for designing documents. Word's okay, but not great with images. PowerPoint has a nice nice set um and a little bit of sharepoint in there because it does a lot of the data management so we're helping me organize all the files so i'm just working along with that um something else that uh, i was playing around with this morning i don't know if you saw this i sent you a link in teams but there's um, a new teams app that came out called updates and i'm just going to share my screen really quickly here this is kind of, I think this is like one of those power app demos. So mm -hmm. similar to, um, actually, no, it's, I don't think it's a power app sample. I think this one is closer to something like um, insights or bookings or maybe not even bookings. I'd say it's closer to something like shifts or approvals, actually. Okay. So things that only live in teams, an app that only lives in teams, but uses, I think, a lot of power platform in the background. So let's just take a look at this really second. So they released a, uh, post in the Microsoft 365 blog in the tech community. There's a small video that will show you a bit of it, but the basic idea here is they're really pushing this for frontline workers. But the basic idea is that um, if you want to send out a form to get updates from your staff, if you want to get some insights on a project, you can use this app to, to standardize that data collection. So let's say you're doing a shift transition or a shift changeover. You can use this app to basically um, send out a form to your staff members on your team, and they can fill out that form and submit it back into you. So it's got some neat promise here. I thought it was a really cool little tool, but it is very much a version 1.0. They got the MVP <laughs> out the door, so it does have that really basic feeling. The marketing team is always on top of it. They've got all the, the fanciest graphics, the lookbooks, everything ready to go for it. But the actual application itself is pretty straightforward. I'll have a link to this blog post and the video that's on YouTube as well to check out later. But let's just like, I just wanted to show this really quickly. And then we can do a bigger dive into it in maybe in a, in a future episode, maybe if, this, if there's a lot of uh, interest in this tool. But you can install it like any other app in Microsoft Teams. And it looks something like this. And basically the idea is, again, you start off by making a form either from scratch or from a template. And then you can call this app and send it up to someone and say, hey, fill out this form to tell me what you're working on this week. Give me a status report of the facility um, at the end of your shift or things like that. So there's a bunch of different templates available to you. And the basic idea is that you're creating a form that is just being sent out to everyone. 
Now, when I looked at this, one of the first things I noticed while I was trying this out is that I couldn't find a way to export the data. And I was ready to just to like throw this against the wall and give up on it right away. But I found out that the forms are actually actual forms. So the, the data lives, the data collection is actually done in Microsoft Forms. So you can export the data from there. So my biggest complaint about it in the less than 24 hours I've been using it is kind of now moot. Um, but that's it's something kind of new that's come out. There's going to be some good use cases for this one. We're going to do some more exploration on it. And then, yeah, I'll come back and report later and tell you what I found. Okay, hang on though one second. You've piqued my interest. There is number three workflow settings. Okay, well, get ready to be disappointed. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So the basic idea here is that um, who are the submitters? So you can assign this to the people that you'll be sending this to. So they'll be okay. notified about it. Uh, the viewers are the people that can review the data submitted. Mm -hmm. And under advanced settings, it's just a reoccurring schedule. So whether or okay. not you want this to go out daily, weekly, monthly, or however often. That's gotcha. about it. Now, do you have a sample of one that's been completed or, or one that has been... Um... Sort of yeah. filled out. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say, let's go to, over to chat for a second here because I was trying this out with Deborah. And I've got a couple of cards for just a couple of sample ones I've uh, started off. So after you've got the app set up, you'll basically call it by using the toolbar at the bottom here. So if you click on the three dots on the ellipsis, you can search for, for the updates app. It acts like a chat bot that you can't chat with, but this allows you to call up and create your surveys. So you can submit one and say, request an update or create a new one. So I can say, you know what? Um, I've got my template here. Just give me an update on this stuff. And then you can, I'm making one from scratch right now, but this will basically just send this out, create this survey, send it out to Deborah, and they'll fill it back out. Once Deborah's done that, I'll be able to review the progress of it. So I can open, click on this review button and look at these nicely formatted cards. That's just nice and clean looking. Um, but yeah, you click the review button in your chat with Deborah, whoever you're sending this to, and then you can review what their feedback is. And then I mentioned, so if you click view entire series, this will take you to the app itself where you can view all of your received submissions for all of your different forms that you've created. So that's about as complicated as it gets. Okay. You've got ones with a scheduled reoccurrence. I don't know what important was because I couldn't find a way to mark something important. So I don't know what makes something important yet. We'll, we'll report back. And then here are all of my received um, updates at the bottom here. So you can see one that I haven't read yet. Open it up. I can see it's from Deborah again. Here's all the information that she submitted. And that's about it. That's all you can do in this app. And like I mentioned earlier, if you want to report out, put this into a spreadsheet so you can quantify it a little bit you go to microsoft forms and can see all the forms that apparently i've been creating this entire time in here so this is where they will live when you create a form so you can actually export these directly to excel interesting okay so th this i believe this is compelling because this is going to cut down the time uh we've talked a lot over the last year and a half two years about using forms for data collection putting it into a sharepoint list and then doing all sorts of automation with it and then reminding people to fill out those forms and, and automating that collection. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show today about using Microsoft Forms. So mm -hmm. I think this will just cut down the time, I think, to, to adopt and to standardize how to collect data. The um, standardization is the key thing. And this yeah. is a discussion I've been having uh, um, often over the last couple of months mm -hmm. is when people want to collect data, 
They want to get feedback from their employees when they want to collect information on the activities they're doing. And they want to switch away from Excel or email for this information. One of the bigger transitions that we have to make in our this change of behavior and change of practice is that in order for this to work, the standardization of how you collect information using a form instead of an email. So the data collected is consistent across every time someone submits it. You're reducing that human error when someone fills out an Excel spreadsheet or an email. It allows a machine to quantify that. So you can use forms, well, you know, collect your information. You can put that through Excel and run a bunch of pivot tables if you want and even more fancy metrics. But the idea is that these forms allow, as you said, to standardize it and allow you to quantify it better. And that's the big jump here. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of potential here if you don't have a formal process in place. Um, but this will take a bit of getting used to in the long run. But it's a nice, easy one to just shove out the door, get started really quickly and start using today. Yeah, I think it lowers the barriers to entry to to doing that activity, to standardizing that activity. 100%. My right. one key complaint about it is the name. So try Googling Microsoft Teams updates. What are you going to get? Oh. Not this. <clears throat> Swing and a miss, right? Every time. Someone, whoever names Microsoft products <laughs> is probably just laughing their heads off all the time. Well, I'm going to have all you in my teams, 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 teams. Yeah, we're going to have teams in teams with teams. Oh, man. It's got an inside joke the in the executive in the executive boardroom there, I swear. <laughs> uh, well, let me let me throw you a curveball then, then, Alex. So just to deviate from our show notes, let's let's keep going on this forms chat. We'll come back to uh, to the previous item, if that's OK with you. Since we're on a roll, we're talking about forms. When you're talking about that sort of internal data collection, should you use Microsoft Forms for internal data collections? So you sort of teased into this, uh, you know, a minute or so ago. Data validation. We need to standardize a process. When you need to remove some of the, uh, let's call it opportunity for ambiguity, or the uh, the exclusion of something that should be included in a message. Again, when you think about a form, it's fields, it's text boxes, it's choices, it's multi-selects, whatever. But again, you're sort of guiding your user on what you're expecting for them to return to you, right? Even, even something as simple as making a question mandatory, I want at least a character. <laughs> Maybe someone will put ha-ha or not applicable or whatever but at least they're reading the question and, and seeing it through, right? Yeah. Now let's take a step back here. Why do we even, why would we want to use forms? Why have we been using forms for many centuries? Paper forms, electronic forms. It's again, to standardize how we collect the information. Why mm -hmm. do we want to do that? Why can't we just write whatever we want? Because that data is used to make decisions later. So we need to be able to quantify it. Right and this is about when you use a form, it's really a, a quality control measure. You want to reduce the number of errors inside of your data to ensure that you're getting good metrics out of, you're getting good insights and information out of that data. Quality in, quality mm -hmm. out. And the, the form is literally just a tool to help ensure that the data you're bringing in is as clean as possible. So you don't have to go and clean it up manually afterwards. The more human steps in there, the more chance you're going to have for error. So. Yeah. That's the whole basis of having a form. Now, if you want to use Microsoft Forms internally, it's definitely possible. Surveys, polls, quizzes, sure. 
Why not? If you want to use it for external data collection with your clients, with prospects clients, with just the general public, absolutely, mm -hmm. you can totally do that. It's got a nice, clean user interface that allows you to just, you know, you can use it in the browser, you can use it on the tablet, on your phone. It's designed for that. And it's nice and quick and easy to for someone to understand what they need to do. Um, but there are limitations to that. So depending on your use case, forms may or may not be the right tool for the job. So I put together a list of pros and cons that I'm not going to get too deep into mm -hmm. um, because we've already covered a bunch of them. But some of the basic ideas that, again, for pros, when using Microsoft Forms, if you're on the cusp of saying, hey, I want to collect some information from my staff on a regular basis, look at your use case. Forms is great for a little bit of that data validation. It's got that, uh, as I mentioned, that user-friendly user interface. It's good for anyone that is not technically savvy, people who are technically savvy. They can just enter in their information and you're, in, and you're ensuring that the information you're collecting is clean. When you want to report on it, when you want to analyze that data to get your insights, you can take that to Excel and do whatever you need to do. Send it to your data analyst, pump it into a Power BI spreadsheet, whatever it is. Absolutely. Yep. Get it in there. It allows you some anonymity. 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 <laughs> that one. Um, that one. Yeah. Uh, it allows you to control whether or not you're collecting that. So you can put mm -hmm. out anonymous forms and for your staff, for the public. So you don't have to collect their names, but you can if you want to, if that's valuable to you. And then, of course, you can. there's all that integration across Office 365, so you can collaborate on them inside of your team channels and more. So there's a lot of pros at, for it, but there are some limitations. So if you want to have a tool to collect data regularly on, let's say, activities your, your staff are doing, forms might be a little bit too simplistic. Because here's one uh, example I had. Um, Someone, want, someone I know wants to collect, let's say, some information or have their staff collect information on their activities they're working on, the projects they're working on. Now, they'll enter in to a form to capture that data the day it happens. But sometimes you need to go back and modify that data. You need to enter in extra information or update something. You cannot do that with forms. Once it's in, it's in. You can right. submit new records multiple times, but you can't do it. You cannot go back and edit it. That's up to the form owner to go and do. So that's not a good use case of forms. So if it's data collection for work, for things you need to go and review on a regular basis, maybe look at something like Microsoft Teams instead. So that's mm -hmm. just a quick tip. Uh, what other cons do we have here? Or just some limitations. Um, if you want to control the, like it, when it comes to external forms, um, you can't prevent people from submitting more um, more than one entry. You cannot prohibit that. So there's no control of, you. It, internal forms, you can say, you know, one, one form per person. External, there's nothing to validate who someone is on an anonymous form. Right. So you have to, just allow people to submit over and over again. So there are some just, those are just some examples of things yeah. that can limit whether or not forms is the right tool for the job. But and externally, externally is where forms is, is a little bit weaker, even collecting an attachment. Um, there isn't an option to, there is in forms an option to collect an attachment. And I've, I've shown off, um, expense claim, expense claim form at the end, you got to attach your receipt. Super common example. Uh, and that's great. Again, internal, inside of your business, right on, no problem. 
um, when you talk about wanting to collect, you know, a drawing for a quoting tool or a quoting form or something like that, please send a picture of your backyard so we can quote you on the landscaping. No way to do that with external users in forms. Uh, and again, you can't validate who they are or who their identity is. So they can submit a form multiple times. And then, I don't know, most cases, that's probably okay. Um, but if you have, if it's a prize draw or something like that, obviously you don't want someone to game your form and get extra entries or something like that. So yeah. a couple of weaknesses on the external side. Something though that was a bigger weakness, let's say six months ago, uh, that I've noticed most recently is Microsoft's tuned up a little bit of the uh, data validation. So if you have a text box or text response, uh, you can now specify, should that be text or should that be a number? And you can put a limit on that number as well. So that's really nice. Again, there's no data masking like a phone number. You can't say, I need a phone number and put in the brackets and the dashes for area codes and things like that that would be great. Um, so again, you can still ask for a number and at least set a limit on it. You can at least get a number, a digit, and not the word O-N-E or T-W-O, something like that, which yeah. again, if you're using formulas, if you're using automation downstream, it's going to be a big benefit if you're getting the data in the way you want it. Um, it's a big thing, that validation. And again, that's date quality in, quality oh, out yeah. you have yeah. to ensure that the information you're receiving is what you want from them yeah. because if you're just getting junk your data is going to be useless yeah. your insights are going to be useless right on and the only other weakness really this comes up um, from time to time when we're working with clients doing forms projects is uh, multiple choice answers or multiple choice questions where you can maybe multi-select or pick from a list that list is static and there's no way to sort of externally bring in another list. So for example, if you have um, 15 flavors of ice cream and you're gonna ask, please pick your favorite, but your 15 flavors, maybe they're featured or maybe it varies on your vendor or something, your flavors are going to change or your special or your, or your widgets that you sell. Again, that's a changing, moving target, if you will. Someone will have to go in and edit that list manually. Wouldn't it be great if you could point it to either an Excel table or a SharePoint list, Microsoft list somewhere to make those options dynamic? That mm. would be awesome. But again, kind of a, a missing piece right now for forms. Yeah. And I think that like things like that end up being outside of the scope of what forms is designed for polls, mm -hmm. surveys, quizzes, really high right. level things that are just meant for a quick submission and that's mm -hmm. it that's where the interaction with the submitter ends for most of it the data collection analysis that's where you want to pull out something like excel or microsoft lists because it's really well designed for that even the data entry part of it because lists has its own form built into it which is customizable yep. that's where i turn a lot of people to like if you want to have something a bit more flexible use lists because you can do a lot with it before you even look at coding or before you even look at automation. Yeah, but if you do add a little bit of JSON, uh, you'd be surprised what you can come up with in, in lists. Yeah. Really compelling. Very cool, very cool. Uh, all right, so that's kind of a wrap on what I wanted to talk about when it comes to Microsoft Forms. I just want to touch on this app because we don't speak about it too much and there's a lot of interest in it, mm -hmm. but it really comes down to 
what you need to do with your data and what it's for. Look at the input, look at your output and how you're being used. Why are you collecting? Why are you making this for? What are you planning to do with that data? If it's just going to sit in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere and never be touched, never be modified, maybe a form is great. If it's more interactive data where you're messing with it a bit more, if you're updating it frequently, look at something like Microsoft Lists. All right, uh, let's move on to our next topic, which is just a little piece on channels versus chat versus email. And Ryan, you and I have beaten this horse a few times in the past. <laughs> and poor this horse. is one that, it, yeah, poor horse. It comes up a lot. And um, this is a, this is a, just want to be clear, this is a show that loves horses. Uh, we're no horse haters here. Um, but when Nate. it comes to... <laughs> Hey, hey. <laughs> um, so when it comes to this, it's there's always this question or discussion around should we use chat or email or channels? Or mm-hmm. when should I start using a channel? When does it make sense to use a channel versus chat or email? And that transition is not always the clearest. When people migrate to Microsoft Teams for the first time or Office 365 for the first time, a lot of their original habits are still in place. You're still using email for the majority of your conversations. Maybe some of it has moved into chat. It's a nice way to get started with Microsoft Teams. Everyone knows how to use an instant messenger, a chat bot, or a chat messenger. So it's a nice, seamless transition. But what we see, and Ryan, this is what I see. I'm sure you've seen a bit of this too is when people start using these big group chats for their entire department, when there's a lot of information flying through there, becomes they don't scale too well. I've never mm-hmm. been in a group chat that really handles a lot of information well. And that's I think that's mainly because it's just one thread. It's one big feed of information. And chat, I find, personally, great for the short bits. Hi, hellos, the quick mm-hmm. chats, the hey... I have a quick question. Let's talk about it for two minutes and then you move on. I also find chats really useful when the group is probably five or less. Any bigger, then you're going to be dealing with multiple conversations inside of a single thread. That's kind of where email chat starts kind of breaking apart, right? Mm-hmm. When there's a lot of information, a lot of noise happening in one small space. It's like it's having a lot of people inside of your bedroom. Yeah. It suddenly starts getting really busy, really crowded, really fast. Let's look at email. Ryan, you love email. You're so passionate about it. When does email break apart for you? When there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many people on a thread con- contributing to the conversation. Again, that's the key, that's the key word, conversation. Uh, I think when when an email stops being back and forth and it starts being, you know, kind of hub and spoke, everybody's adding a piece, everybody's modifying, it, it gets very, very easy to lose someone's contribution mm-hmm. or what someone is saying. Uh, and here's a little secret about me. I used to hate conversation view and email. I used to want to see every message independently. Same. Uh, fast forward, you know, a few years now, I would die without conversation view because it does group those things, like I say, in a conversation. Um, but again, when you get more than a handful of people in an email thread, some are tuning out because they don't believe they belong to this email thread, but they're in a distribution group, but they don't want to say no and they don't want to say take me off. And then you have people that don't click reply all, so you 
potentially miscommunications if you're on the peripheral. You have people that do reply all when they're just asking someone a question. You have people that don't use at mentions. You have all sorts of different you know, habits and styles. Uh, again, when it's a conversation and you need to pick apart something and talk about it, uh, I would not think of email first. And then, yes. And it's like where it really breaks for me is when a group chat or not a group chat, when an email thread starts breaking out into multiple email threads because someone's replied all to a few people in that original thread while the original thread's still going. So now I've got twice (laughs) as many emails and discussions happening around the same topic or two. And we haven't even mentioned attachments yet. Think of attachment hell when someone edits, you know, V1. Now it's V1.5, but 10 of the 20 people on the reply all didn't get it or look at it or collate it. Again, it just falls apart for me. And email is so good for a lot of things, but it's the scaling that seems Mm -hmm. to be the greatest strength or the greatest weakness. When there's multiple conversations happening, when there's a lot of activity happening, especially simultaneously, that's when things can get a little hard for people to follow because you can't opt out of an email. You can mute a chat for a while. You can Mm -hmm. mute an email for a while too, but you can't mute everything. And then if it breaks out into multiple email threads, then well, you're hooped, you're just stuck in it. And trying to figure out what an email thread is called, like this is, I think my biggest gripe is um, you can't rename subject lines, at least not in Outlook. I know some email apps that let you do that, but not Outlook. And so it's, you're at the mercy of whatever someone called it. And if you're working at, you've seen those organizations that like to add external to their email threads to every time someone replies to it, that that subject line just keeps getting longer and more distraught. So re, 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 forward, 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 actual <laughs> subject line. Yeah, yeah. Just buried in there in somewhere. There. And it probably has nothing to do with what is actually being discussed <laughs> right now. So all that venting to come to this place where I want to actually just kind of bring it back into why team channels make sense or can mm-hmm. really alleviate a lot of that pressure when it's time for a group to move into channels, into a channel and start using their team channels more effectively, more thoughtfully. So like we said, we've got a ton of email threads that are just broken. We've got chat that doesn't work when there's a lot of activity happening. Information's getting lost, et cetera. When we look at team channels, there's two key properties I really want to point out that really help make channels work. One, they're threaded conversations. They're siloed. Everyone, you can start a conversation about something. Everyone gets to see it if they want to because they're all part of that group. They're all part of that team. But you're only, you only have to mention a couple of people, which means there's only you know two or three people out of a group of 10 or 100 that need to be engaged in the discussion. Everyone else can benefit from it, benefit from it passively. Mm-hmm. They can reply to it if they want to. They can acknowledge it with a like or a reaction if they want to, or they can just completely ignore it. You get called into it, or let's say you get called into a, and uh, you get uh, looped into an, um, a conversation thread where someone used the at team or the at channel. So you're part of that conversation and it's happening. And if you don't want to be part of it, you can opt out of it. So you can turn off the notifications for a single thread and just say, you know what? This has nothing to do with me anymore. I'm no. out. No more notifications, no more pop-ups. It's done. You can catch up on it. You can catch up on it if you want to, but that's about it. The other part of 
conversations and channels that I really think help people is the fact that they're chronologically threaded. They're ordered. Email conversations really struggle with this. They've come a long way. Like you said, mm -hmm. I hated them. Conversation. Too. Like, yeah. Conversation yeah. view uh, obviously is, is a boon yeah. for that. You can still, you can still miss pieces. You can still miss additions. Absolutely. But in team channels, it's all just kept together mm -hmm. and you know, and it, it manages that order of replies because people can't be replying simultaneously. Someone's going to get in at the top and then it's going to be the next person and the next person. So you can catch up on it. You know, when a conversation has been happening for 20 minutes and there's been a lot of back and forth on something, you can come back to it and follow it from start to finish how the conversation has progressed. That goes a long way to ensure that people are speaking the same language. They have the right information. They're sharing files as they go. And, the ha and everyone can come to a conclusion. This is basically a meeting in a bottle right here. Mm -hmm. You don't have to call a meeting. You can just do it here over the course of your day if you want to. So there's a lot of potential here. Right on. So notifications, threaded, split up conversations. So everything, every conversation in your channel has a purpose. It's either for you or it's not for you. And if you don't want to be a part of it, you don't have to be. And right on. But if you if you now combine that again to bring it back to to documents, so talking about attachments, how you can lose attachments and version history is quite honestly can be hell uh, when, when people are attaching files. Uh, again, we can think about sharing files from OneDrive or SharePoint. If you look at it here in the context of a team channel, using the channel to put some context around what document you're working on. Um, but again, you can have it here in your files tab. You could have a tabbed conversation like you showed us last week on last week's show. You could have that tabbed conversation around the document or around the dashboard. Again, that ultimately is going to be way more contextual than an email, I think, would have a little bit more ambiguity. Uh, again, group chat, yeah, you could bring the document in. You could do some stuff there, but you're going to miss that threadedness. <laughs> you're going to miss that threaded nature, that combination and context, I think. That yes. is a real benefit to uh, to a Teams conversation or channel conversation. And the other part of sharing files in the thread is where are they stored? SharePoint. The files tab. Yeah. It does it for you. You yep. don't have to attach it. You don't have to go through this hoopla. You can just say, well, here it is on my computer, my original draft. Uh, attach it to your reply, to your new conversation. And it's in SharePoint. Everyone has access to it. Mm -hmm. And it's taken care of for you. I When it comes to sharing files there's a lot of discussion in the microsoft communities about sharepoint versus onedrive and clients have a lot of questions around this when do i use onedrive when do i use sharepoint and the main general wisdom is when it comes to file sharing with a group use sharepoint as your primary onedrive i find I was in the meeting last week and someone had described it as ad hoc storage. You've got all the storage in your OneDrive, but that kind of really summed it up for me. OneDrive is best for your ad hoc sharing and storage. You want to just get some quick feedback with someone in a group chat, throw it in, you can upload it, share it from your OneDrive. Great. When it comes to the collaboration, when it comes to your project work, your department work, put it in SharePoint because mm -hmm. when people leave your team, they're not taking those files with you or with them. When it lives in their OneDrive and they leave their team, you have a lot of important business critical information saved in someone's OneDrive. If they leave or transfer out, you lose access to it. And then you got to go to an admin and ask them and you have to go through their OneDrive files to find what you're looking for. If it's in SharePoint, 
it's not an issue. People can come and go from your team, but the files will always be there. So team channels, sharing files from there simplifies that because it's going where it needs to go. The channel, as you mentioned, gives it context for what the file is about, where it belongs. It doesn't have to get more complicated than that. Right on. Now, I think all of this is good in the context of inside your organization. Again, internal collaboration. It's when we introduce external users and external guests and external members for SharePoint sites, for example. Uh, it's kind of like cooking fish. People get really uncomfortable about it. Um, so again, I think it's just something that we could probably do a better job talking about and, and showing the world that don't be afraid of having external collaborators. They can be partners, they could be clients, they could be vendors, patients, students, whatever it happens to be. Let, let them in, let them in. And I think Microsoft's doing a lot of work to make that experience a lot more transparent and a lot easier to get going so that people don't have that hesitation. So uh, I think good things to come there. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to shared channels. That's going to be a big change in how we yep. deal with external collaboration. That's a discussion I, I, for 2023 or 2024, whenever <laughs> that rules out. But I had a scenario uh, yesterday, in fact, with another colleague where a, a client was discussing how they're going to set up their, their team's layout, for lack of a better term. And they were talking about how they were going to set up teams and channels and teams and channels and teams and channels. And then it got to the point where, well, if they put it in this team and in this channel, that means it's in a folder in that SharePoint document library. How's, how are other teammates going to get to it? And I'm thinking, well, shared channels would be the, the best you know, thing since sliced bread for them. But alas, it's not quite available yet. So yeah, we shall that's wait. Good. <laughs> it, there's, it's such a key use case. And you're right, just putting things into a SharePoint team site Mm -hmm. makes it great for the people you collaborate with or members of the team, but everyone else, you have to go through some extra steps to make it accessible for them. Not impossible. Yeah. It's not super no, hard. Not impossible. You have to know what you're doing in order to get to that point. Right on. Cool. All right. Well, I think that ends the audio only version for our podcast listeners. Thank you for joining in. Uh, we're going to be switching to a very short demo in future versus feature now. So make sure you check out our YouTube channel for that. We'll have the episode information in the show notes. Ryan, let's talk about SharePoint team sites. Yeah, so again, kind of just picking up where, where we just left off. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning into this audio-only version of the MoWo Show. If you want to see the full episode, including demo segments such as Watch and Learn or Feature vs. Feature, make sure you check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash teammowo. We'll have links for you in the episode description. Take care.